0: Thank you, Mark. It's good to have you back. Aaron is on vacation this week, and so Mark has uh, come to fill in for us, and we have designated him as our permanent replacement or fill fill in. He doesn't know that, or he hasn't agreed to that, but uh, that's our idea anyway. But uh, it is good to see you again. We are continuing our series this morning on the Holy Spirit. We will be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first 11 verses as we think about the witness of the Spirit. Now we said at the outset of this brief series that this particular member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, that this particular member of the Trinity is the least understood and in our circles, meaning Baptist circles, is often the least discussed. Part of the reason for this is that the Holy Spirit's role is to glorify Jesus. That is his main responsibility is to point people to a relationship with Christ so that Jesus gets the glory. Therefore, he is not pointing people to himself. So any church or ministry that majors on the spirit is by definition missing the mark because even the Holy Spirit doesn't major on the Holy Spirit. But another reason for the confusion is the vagueness, at least to us, in the nature of the Holy Spirit. I was talking to one of our great theologians around here the other day, Miss Ann Allen, and uh, Ann asked me a question. She said, When you think of the members of the Trinity, what do you think of? And I'd never really thought of it in those terms, but I said to her, just sort of off the cuff, well, when I think about God the Father, I think about Him sitting on His throne. Now, I don't have the specifics for that, and so my imagery is very vague, but I think about God the Father in heaven sitting on His throne. When I think about God the Son, I primarily think about Jesus' ministry while He was here on earth. And so I think about his teaching and his miracles. Now, I could also think about him sitting at the right hand of God the Father, but my mind seems to go to what we see in the Gospels of Jesus' ministry. But then when I said, when when it came to the Holy Spirit, you know, I I had to pause for a moment and think, you know, I don't know what I think about when I think about the Holy Spirit. I mean, we talked about that briefly in the first sermon when we looked at the images like a dove or something like that but I really don't have a great image in my mind of the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can think about the work of the Holy Spirit, giving that a great amount of thought, and in that, we can see what He does, and that is, in fact, what we are going to do this morning. So while we may not have a concrete image in our minds of who the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit looks like, We do have and we can see the ministry of the Holy Spirit on a regular and daily basis in our lives and in the life of the church. And it is this witness of the Spirit that we are going to talk about today, primarily in three specific areas of the Christian life. I'm going to spend the vast majority of our time on the first of these three areas, and that is spiritual gifts. I'm spending the vast majority of our time there because it is the area of the Spirit's ministry that sometimes causes the most confusion and is the most understood. Now, to be honest, we looked at one witness of the Spirit last week. That is, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. Those qualities or characteristics that Paul lists for us that we are to bear, not produce, but bear as a result of walking in the Spirit. So we've really already started this conversation, but today we're gonna move forward and talk about three other areas in our lives where we see the witness of the Holy Spirit or what we might call the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and in our church. So let's look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is one of the classic passages on spiritual gifts. Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, varieties of various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, as you see in the very first verse there, Paul is writing this because there is some misunderstanding in this church in Corinth as it pertains to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Our misunderstanding, our confusion is not new to our generation. We are not the first ones to go through this. The church in Corinth was facing the same thing. In fact, in many ways, we could say the church in Corinth was a mess. It had a lot of problems going on. Both moral and doctrinal problems were evident in this church. You know, sometimes people talk about how we need to go back to the early church. You ever heard someone say that? You know what we really need to do as a church is we just need to go back to the early church and mirror what they did. Well, if we were to do that, Corinth would not be the church that we would want to have for our our example because it was just filled with all kinds of trouble. And a large part of the problem was the misuse of spiritual gifts something Paul discusses both here in chapter 12 and again in chapter 14? And you might hear that and be reminded that in the middle of that is First Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter. You know that chapter, but did you know that the love chapter that we are so familiar with, especially at weddings? is sandwiched in between two chapters that deal with the proper use of spiritual gifts because the Corinthians were misusing those gifts. So we're talking about three specific areas of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and area number one is spiritual gifts. And again, we're going to camp out here, so when we are done with number one, don't get worried that we're going to go long because two and three are going to be very brief. So the first one is spiritual gifts, and we want to start with the purpose of spiritual gifts. When we forget the reason behind gifts, we wind up with much confusion. And again, that's exactly what was taking place in Corinth. Believers were using their spiritual gifts for their own exaltation and for their own benefit. And I find that the same thing is happening today in churches all over the world. So what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Well, number one, it is for the equipping of believers. Now, we're going to see in the second area of witness, the area of service. And so we can say that the Spirit of God equips us not only with gifts, but those gifts are designed for us to use in service. We are not called upon to minister or serve in the name of the Lord in our own strength. And we mentioned this last week. Last week, we said one of the problems in in ministry, both lay people and vocational, is that we are trying to do everything in our own effort and in our own strength, and as a result, we burn out. It was never meant to be that way. We are equipped with the Holy Spirit and with the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we can serve. And that's why it's important for us to know what our gifts are so that we can serve in the most effective manner. So the Holy Spirit of God equips and empowers us for service. And part of this ministry is through spiritual gifts. We see this in verse six and following. But not only does he equip believers, he also edifies believers. That is, Paul says these gifts are given for the edification of us, for the building up of the body, or verse seven, for the common good. Gifts were not given Merely for the individual, they were given to be used in the body for the common good. So we could say they're also used to establish our faith. We'll talk about the third witness in a moment, sanctification. And spiritual gifts play a vital role in that process as well. So they are for the equipping and the edifying of believers, and they are for the effectiveness of the whole church. If we were to read on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we would find that Paul begins to use a very common imagery in the Bible. It is the body imagery when it comes to the church. That is, the church of Jesus Christ is like a body. There are many members of that body, but the members are different. But when those members come together in one body, they all serve their purpose, though those purposes are different. But serving their purpose, though different together brings it together as a body functioning the way it was meant to function. So we have different spiritual gifts, but those gifts complement one another. Because gifts were not designed to elevate individual believers. And that is exactly what is happening... When gifts are exalted one over the other, as if one person is more spiritual because they have this gift and someone else is less spiritual, that's not building up the body. That's creating more division in the body, which gifts were never meant to do. Ultimately, of course, the purpose of spiritual gifts is for the exaltation of Christ, As believers, we are to exalt Christ in all that we do. We are to glorify Jesus with our lives. And the Holy Spirit of God gifts us with gifts of the Spirit in order for us to do that. So all the exercising of our spiritual gifts are ultimately done for the glory or exaltation of Jesus. Secondly, let's look at the division of spiritual gifts. That is, there have been various attempts by various people to categorize these spiritual gifts into various categories. And there are many different ways you can do this. None of them are perfect. Some make it as easy as the temporary gifts versus the permanent gifts. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But let me divide these up. I'm taking this from someone else. These are not my own categories, but uh, they divided them up into four four, uh, sets. Number one are special gifts. That is, these are the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are the gifted uh, individuals who are gifted to equip the people of God. Then secondly, there are the speaking gifts. Prophecy, teaching, exhortation, and wisdom. All of these used to explain God's truth, once again, for the equipping of God's people. And then thirdly, there are the serving gifts These are the more common of the gifts and are used to enable God's work, and these are a variety of various gifts. And then the fourth category are the sign gifts. These are the most controversial and are said to be used to establish God's authority. Now we need to understand that these lists in Scripture, whether it's here in 1 Corinthians 12 or whether it's in the other places where we find these gifts, the Bible never claims that these lists are exhaustive. That is, God in his Holy Spirit could gift us in other ways that are not specifically mentioned here. So we have to be very careful not to categorize everything so neatly that we put God in a box and he is too restricted. Now let me just pause here and say something about the gifts that are deemed to be the most controversial. That is, the gifts of tongues, healings, prophecy, and miracles. There are two basic beliefs when it comes to these sign gifts. Uh, there are two camps, we might say. One is called cessationist. That is, those are the people who believe that these gifts have ceased, thus, the title cessationist. They were gifts given initially to the early church, again, designed to authenticate the authority of God's witness, but now that we have the revelation of God's word, we no longer need those gifts, and therefore those gifts have ceased. That's one camp. The other camp is the camp that says, no, they have not ceased at all. They continue." So these are the continuationists. These are very easy titles to remember. These are continuationists. That is, they believe that these gifts continue on in the present day. Maybe not in the same uh, quant- quality or quantity, but they continue nevertheless. They would say that there's no evidence in scripture that these gifts were ever meant to cease, and so they haven't. And they continue on in individuals today. Now, there is sort of a a mitigating camp in between these two that say, while we would not say that they absolutely cease, we would say that in the majority of cases, they are not needed because we have the written revelation of God. However, we leave open the possibility that especially in those areas where God's word has not penetrated, God can and still does work in these ways and through these gifts. All of that to say we need to be very cautious when it comes to this debate that the focal point does not become these gifts rather than the giver. We can be so focused on do these gifts continue? How can these gifts work? Do you have these gifts and why not? That we miss out on the fact that it is God who gives us these gifts for various ministries which we'll discuss in just a moment. All right, so let's look briefly I'm going to blitz through these at the definition of spiritual gifts. That is, I'm going to walk through each of these gifts, not just the ones listed here, but the ones listed elsewhere in Scripture as well, and give you a very brief description or definition of what they are. All right? Helps or ministry. This is the presence of a gift in one's life verified by the desire and the ability to recognize the day-to-day needs of other people and actually meet them. I mean, these are people that don't just talk about other people's needs. They do something about it. They get involved and help. Second, there is mercy characterized by the desire and ability to feel sympathy for the needs of others, especially those who are in distress or crisis. This is a little bit different than the first one because here we're talking about someone who who maybe is in a situation where they cannot help themselves, like someone caring for the sick or relieving the poor and the oppressed, ministering to the elderly or disabled. Thirdly, there is giving, and you know what that is. It is characterized by someone who has the special ability to give above and beyond. That is, they just seem to have this gift of being able to make money and then give it away, liberally and cheerfully. Giving not for ulterior motives or to be seen by others, but giving because they want to see the work of the Lord continue. Then there is healing. We've briefly mentioned that already. The ability to uh, physically, mentally, or spiritually heal those uh, with direct action from God. Again, this is one of those gifts that fall into that category of are they temporary or are they permanent? Were they initially given to authenticate God's authority and therefore are no, now no longer needed or do they continue on? In either case, we do believe, we are in agreement here, we do believe that God can and does heal. The question is, when it comes to these gifts, does God give the ability to individuals to directly heal in his name? And uh, certainly we see a lot of abuse here, right? You recognize that just because someone says they're healing in the name of Jesus or they're quoting this or that does not make it legitimate. So I think we are a little skeptical here because we've seen so much abuse when it comes to this particular gift. Then there is wisdom. We've just done a series on that. Wisdom is characterized by the ability to gain insight into the practical application of God's truth for a specific situation. And we talked in that sermon series about the fact that wisdom is knowledge applied. Knowledge is our next gift. Knowledge then is the uh, ability to discover, understand, clarify, and communicate the information that relates to life and growth in the Christian life. So this certainly involves the gathering of information, but it also involves the communication of that information, which leads right into our next gift, which is the gift of teaching. This is the ability to take the Word of God and communicate the spiritual truths that we find there in such a way that they are relevant to the health and ministry of the church. Now, this is more than possessing knowledge. This is the ability to take that knowledge and to teach it to others. And it is seen in the fact that people sit under you and listen to you and learn from the things that you teach. Some are very knowledgeable biblically but they don't have the uh, gift to teach. Now, this gift does not negate preparation. You know, there are some who go to the other extreme and they say, well, I got the gift of teaching, so I'm just going to show up and I'm going to teach. No, it doesn't mean you don't study and don't prepare. God uses those things as well. Then there is leadership or administration The ability to set goals in accordance with the will of God, communicate those goals, motivate other people to get involved in the achieving of those goals, and to organize and execute various ministries. I mean, we have some people in this church that have have the gift of administration or leadership so that they can organize and uh, effectively mobilize people in various ministries. Prophecy is a gift that is mentioned the ability to receive a message from God and communicate that message to others. Now, we would call this perhaps preaching, and we would be quick to add that this is not new revelation in our day. Again, this is one of those gifts that is in that category of, is it, is it ongoing or is it not? But we would be quick to say this is not new revelation. The revelation of God has ceased in his word. Then there is spiritual discernment. The ability to know which actions and teachings uh, that are claimed to be from God are actually from God. And this is the intellectual uh, capability to know what is true and what is not and to guard other people against these false teachings and false teachers. Exhortation is the ability to comfort or encourage others as well as motivate them. So we might say this is the gift of counseling or comforting or motivating or encouraging. You still with me? Still following? All right, now we have the gift of shepherding. That's the ability to pastor, to build up, to equip and guide Christians in spiritual growth. The gift of faith. Now, this is not saving faith. Every believer has saving faith. But the gift of faith is a above and beyond kind of faith that uh, believes God, intervenes through prayer in the Spirit's power, and is an extraordinary or extraordinary measure of faith. Evangelism. Again, all of us are to be evangelists. We're all to share the gospel. But this is someone who is gifted above and beyond the norm to feel and see the needs of those who are lost in their sins. They have a heart for people who do not know Jesus and they go out of their way seeking to share the gospel with them in an effort to lead them to faith in Christ. Like any gift, it can be abused, and sometimes it is abused when people uh, do not care about the genuineness of the response. That is, they, they just want a response, or they don't couple that with ongoing discipleship. They just lead someone to faith in Christ and then they're done. Apostleship is another one of those temporary gifts that we talked about. we use used by God to build the foundation of the church. Again, others say it still exists. And they would say this is similar to missionaries or church planters. Miracles is the power to cause events that happen that are beyond the explanation of natural laws. And then, of course, there is tongues. The gifts of speaking in another language, as we saw last week on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon the disciples, they were able to speak the Word of God in the languages of all the people that were represented there. Now there are others who say there is a different kind of tongues that is not a known language, it is an unknown language or sometimes they call it a prayer language. And that's another debate, whether there is two different kinds of tongues, one a known language and one an unknown language. But the Bible is very clear that when there is a tongue spoken, it is supposed to be interpreted. That is, it is of no use. In fact, Paul himself says, that if you speak tongues in a church and it is not interpreted, then it is not edifying to anybody. And we've already seen that edification is one of the purposes of spiritual gifts. And not only is it not edifying to those who are believers, it uh, it is confusing to those who are not. And so this is another one of those gifts that we can debate whether or not it's ongoing, but I can say with all certainty that it is abused perhaps more often than not. That is when it is used, if it is ongoing, when it is used, it is often misused according to the Word of God, and has caused and continues to cause much confusion in the Christian church. Finally, we're still on spiritual gifts. I told you we we're going to camp out here for a while. We want to talk about the practice of spiritual gifts. As you can see from verses four and six, I won't four through six. I won't read those again. There are different kinds of gifts. There are varieties, but the same spirit. And then if you drop down to verse 11, you see in verse 11 that God has bestowed these gifts on us in a sovereign manner. That is to each individually as he wills. That is, it's his sovereign will to give us the gifts that he desires for us. We have defined and described the gifts. We are to develop the gifts that God has given us. But it is not up to us to look for the gifts that we want. God gives us the gifts that he desires for us to have. Now, understand that every believer is gifted. In fact, some believers, many believers have multiple gifts. And all gifts are to be exercised in love. Again, this, is, this, this discussion of spiritual gifts is sandwiched in, in, in 1 Corinthians with chapter 13, the great love chapter. Because they were doing it selfishly, and Paul's trying to show them that everything is to be done in love. So all of these gifts are to be exercised in love, not abused for self- selfish purposes. And there is no gift that must be present. By that I mean, we we must not come to the place that there is a single or, or particular gift that is elevated above all others as evidence of the Spirit of God. And I say that because you know that there is a lot of teaching out there that says unless you can speak in tongues, you do not have the Spirit of God. That is not what Scripture teaches. There is a variety of gifts and one is not greater than the other. Now, just because you have a spiritual gift, and again, all believers do, does not necessarily mean you are spiritual. You say, what? What I mean by that is you can be gifted and still not be walking with the Lord. Or you can abuse your gifts by leaving them dormant or undeveloped. And gifts are not just natural abilities. This is not just what you like or what you're good at. Those might play into it. But gifts are given to us by God, and many of these gifts are extra measures of what all of us should have. What do I mean by that? Let me give you a couple examples. We've already looked at it, really. I said there's a gift of giving. And some of you might have thought to yourself, that's great. I don't have it, so I don't have to give. No, that's not what we mean. We mean. All of us have a responsibility to give, but there are some who are especially gifted to give over and above. Likewise, the gift of mercy. You could say, well, I don't have the gift of mercy, and those of you who know me well know that I don't. Now, that doesn't mean that you can come to me and say you need some help, and I say, well, I'm sorry, I don't have the gift of mercy. No, I still have a responsibility as a Christian to exhibit mercy but we merely understand that there are others who have this gift well beyond what I can deliver, and therefore they do it well. And when they do it, others are greatly helped by it. All right, so all of that is spiritual gifts. So based on this pace, we have another hour to go, but we're gonna speed up here. The second witness of the Spirit is service. Obviously this hinges on spiritual gifts. In other words, you ought to employ your spiritual gift or gifts in the service of the Lord primarily through his church. Which means there is going to be a diversity of ministry in the church. If there is a variety of gifts, as we've seen, then there is going to be a diversity of ministries and that is the way it was designed to be. I found that what happens in the church oftentimes is that people are passionate about what they are gifted in and and how they are serving, and they ought to be. But because they are passionate about their ministry, they're trying to pull other people to get involved in their ministry, and they can do that, and they ought to do that. But then they get frustrated that other people don't want to get involved in their ministry, and then they take the next leap and they say, well, they must not be a very good Christian if they're a Christian at all. I mean, if they're not passionate about what I'm passionate about, and they're not involved in what I'm involved in, but how can they even call themselves a Christian? And we begin to elevate ourselves above everybody else who doesn't have the same gifts and passions that we have. And guess what? Someone else is doing that about you. Someone else is saying, why won't they get involved in the ministry that I'm involved in? Aren't they a Christian? What we have to understand is we are gifted differently. Therefore, we have different passions. And as a result, there are going to be different ministries. And that is all good. That's the way it was designed to be. So don't judge someone else's passion or faith on whether or not it agrees with yours. Understand that they might be gifted differently. Now, many people choose to take a spiritual gift test to determine what their gifts are. Try to figure out what they are gifted in doing, and therefore they can put it to best use in service. And there are several of these tools available, and they are good. I would simply issue a few cautions. First of all, pinpointing a spiritual gift might lead you to assume that you don't have others. That is, you might say, well, I have the gift of teaching, and then conclude that you have nothing else. And therefore, you leave other gifts neglected. Pinpointing a spiritual gift may make you proud that your gift is more public in nature I have the gift of teaching. What gift do you have? Well, if you have to keep telling people what your gift is, you probably don't have it So if you're going around telling everybody, well, my gift is uh, They ought to be able to see your gift, not have you tell them what it is And it leads to complacency in other areas Like I mentioned a moment ago For me to to say I don't have the gift of mercy and then not show mercy That's just sinful That's not recognizing what my spiritual gift is and using it. So having determined your spiritual gift, then you are to plug into the life of the local church using that gift. And when all members are doing this and doing it well, the church prospers. I mean, when we have Sunday school teachers who have the gift of teaching, then our Sunday school ministry is going to flourish. When we have... Uh, members in our church who have the gift of mercy and they are reaching out to our shut-ins and to our sick. Those shut-ins and sick are going to feel the ministry and they are going to be uplifted and encouraged as these people who have mercy are exhibiting these gifts. As we have people in our church who have the gift of of helps or ministry, and they're down in the nursery, for example, caring for our kids while we are worshiping here, and those kids are not just babysat, but they're loved and they're taught the Word of God, that the whole church flourishes when all of us use our gifts in service in the local church in some capacity. Now, number three, spiritual gifts, service, and number three is sanctification. These are witnesses of the Spirit. Sanctification is simply the process by which we grow in our walk with the Lord. And this is really a comprehensive term for all that we've been talking about in these three weeks, or at least the the second half of the first week onward. You remember the first half of week one, we talked about the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the unbeliever. But then we started talking about the Holy Spirit's life in the believer, and that's what we've been talking about ever since. And that is all sanctification. Both Peter in his first epistle and Paul in 2 Thessalonians expressly speak of the sanctification of the believer taking place through the Holy Spirit. So again, it's not that the Holy Spirit merely calls us and draws us to faith in Christ and then takes his hands off and leaves us to ourselves. No, he continues to be active in our lives uh, until we are physically in the presence of Christ. So the, the walk, the work, and the witness of the Spirit can be some of the most confusing aspects of the Christian life. When I was young in the faith, I was a, I was a youth minister at a church part-time, and I happened to go into this local bookstore, this local Christian bookstore. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, it was run by some people who were continuationist. I didn't know those terms then, but I know them now. And uh, this guy that was running the store, apparently it was a slow day, and I walked in and he caught me. And for the next two hours, and I'm not exaggerating, for two hours he had his Bible that was well marked open, and he was walking me through why the, these, these sign gifts are still in active uh, effort today. I walked out of that bookstore very confused and only confident of one thing, and that was I was never going back in that bookstore. So I know this can be a confusing topic, and we can get sidetracked on these things. We have to be very careful, again, that the debates about gifts do not override the giver. And that the debates about gifts don't elevate one above the other. Our faith is not based on the supernatural, at least not on the supernatural uh, now. Our, Our faith is based on what we see in the Scriptures concerning Christ, and that, of course, is supernatural. I mean, we know that Christ died and rose again. That's as supernatural as it comes. What I'm saying is our faith ongoing is not based on whether we can see the miraculous now. Our faith is based on Christ and his finished work. So may we understand the spirit and may we not get confused by the debates about the gifts of the spirit, but may we ultimately focus our mind and eyes on Christ as he's revealed to us in the scriptures because the spirit is pointing us to Jesus and guiding us into all truth. Let's not take our eyes off of that. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we've had to be here this morning. And we pray that uh, in this somewhat complicated subject in our own day, and clearly in Corinth as well, that you would remind us of the truth, that you would help us understand. We pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine our minds so that we can understand what the Scripture says about spiritual gifts and using them in service and how the Spirit sanctifies us. But I pray that you would take away the confusion and the doubt, And you would help us, as we talked about last week, to walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn.